0: You saw the message title on the board called Soulish Indigestion. What is soulish indigestion? Soulish indigestion is any thought or any emotion that does not line up with the heart and the Word of God. And guess what? We've all got it. We've all got some soulish indigestion. In order for this word to make sense, you have to lay a foundation, right? Foundation is not the prettiest part of the building. It's a big hole, dirt, and rocks, and roots, and it's not the prettiest part, but it's an essential part of building a building. So the message may come out more like guns in the beginning than roses, but you'll get the rose along the way somewhere. Amen. I was kind of hesitant, to be honest with you, about this message title. I was about a third of the way in. Remember I told you before, I don't name messages before God births them in my heart. Usually it's about halfway or so through, and I begin to see the thread, and I'm like, hmm, okay, God, I see what you're talking about. So I was about a third of the way through the message, and I heard two words echoing in my heart, soulish indigestion, I'm like, God, is that me or is that you? That's weird, soulish indigestion. I never heard of that before. And I kept hearing it, soulish indigestion. So I put that up my notes, and I said, okay, if it doesn't turn out to be that, I'll just change it. Nobody will know, except you and me. But it was the title for the message today. The reason uh, I was hesitant about it is I never want to come across as catchy or clever or cute. It's just not my style. In fact, I never want to draw attention to me at all. I want to keep pointing to Jesus. I would I want to point to me when I can point to the Savior. You love him, don't you? I know you guys love him. Oh, praise his holy name. Let me explain this title. A man is made up of three components. He's made up of the spirit, the soul, and the sack. <laughs> you know what I mean? The sack, the body? That's really all it is. I brought one here with me this morning so I could demonstrate it. We're a spirit, a soul, and a body. And what God did is God chose, when we said yes to Jesus, he came as a spirit to live in our spirit. And the Bible says when we worship him, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Just get the flesh all out of the way for a moment. I think that's what we were experiencing today. We were just in tune with the spirit. And we were worshiping him in spirit and in truth. I'm a visual guy, I thought, God, if you were like a piece of steel and I was like a piece of steel, it's not like you just glue us together and then we're stuck with you. It's like God said, okay, I'm like metal, you're like metal, let's put you in the same pot, let's just melt us down together. Do you get it? We become one and, and then we get refashioned and remolded into the, into the really the total likeness of God. So one of the evidences that we have soulish indigestion going on is our words. That's one of the evidences. When we say a word that we know does not line up with the word of God and the heart of God, that's the red flag right there. It's not a bad thing. It's really not. We just have to realize, God, okay, I need to soak more in your love and soak more in your grace. It's not about going out and working harder and just reading. It's about soaking and listening to the Lord. You know, we sing these songs about how much we love him. Oh, how much I love you. No, what you need to know is how much he loves you. You will respond to His love when you know how much He loves you. Oh, I just feel the anointing on what I just said right there about how much He loves you. So God is a spirit, and He comes and lives in our spirit. We call that being born again. We're fused with God. Now you got the soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion. That's the part that gets this indigestion. We have the body. I call it the sack. You know, I couldn't help but think about this. Let me show you something here. This is a sack. And when I look at a sack, I realize, wow. Just the way it's made, I realize that it's meant to carry stuff. It's got an opening. It's got these two nice little handles. But if I was to put a big rubber ball or something in there and and squeeze the bag down to take on the shape of the ball, it wouldn't be that difficult to guess what's in there, would it? You realize what's in there. If I put a hammer in the bag, and I squeeze the bag down around the hammer." You say, well, that's a hammer. Even though you can't see the hammer, right? You say, well, there's a hammer in that bag. You know, we, according to, to um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. We are supposed to take on the image of God. We're supposed to look like Him. We're supposed to sound like Him. We're supposed to operate like Him. We're supposed to walk like Him, talk like Him. What gets in the way? Soulish indigestion gets in the way. I was telling my wife one day to have a God-shaped day. I was saying, baby, have a God-shaped day. She's like, what? I said, have a God-shaped day. What are you talking about? She thought I was saying, have a scotch tape day. <laughs> I said, no, I'm saying have a God-shaped day. We should go out and just have God-shaped days. I think there's too many days we need the scotch tape when we really need the god shape. That means if I'm God-shaped, that means I have the mind of Christ. Does the word tell us we have the mind of Christ? We have the mind of Christ. I don't have to walk with exiled emotions. Remember when I preached about that recently? That we have all these exiled emotions that take us and carry us away. I'm talking about unhealthy emotions. That's okay. God knows how to get you out of the mully grubs. You know? He knows how to pull you up out when you get down in that stuff. So, a sack. A sack has really one purpose. It's not good for anything else if you're not carrying something in it. What is it good for? Whether it's groceries or goods of any sort, clothes, whatever. It's not good for anything else other than that. Occasionally the sack dies. You know, it just dies. It loses its purpose in life. That's when the soul and the spirit have to leave. And Jesus demonstrated this truth so well when he hung on the cross. One of the last things he said is he says, It is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. In other words, the Bible says he gave up his spirit. Why did he give up his spirit? Because it, he had to. His body just died. The body is meant for carrying. Things. So we, we have this spirit, we have this soul, and we have the body. So soul-ish. <laughs> soul-ish. We know the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotion. Did you know that the word ish is the Hebrew word for man? Unless it's talking about Adam specifically. In other words, when God said in Genesis, let us make man, that word is Adam. He was literally talking about, let's make the first man. When man is used after that in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it is the word Ish. But guess what woman is called? she got a much more flowery name, much prettier name. Her name is Isha. Doesn't that sound prettier than Ish? I mean, Ish is a lot like Ick. <laughs> you got Ish. So literally what I'm saying here, just to make this thing stick, is soul, which is the mind, the will, and the emotions, ish. What am I saying? Soul of man. I'm saying the soul of man has indigestion. It can come out. That's the good news. It can leave. You know what I'm telling you? Since I've got the message of grace and God's unconditional love, do you know what? I actually believe this. I have the audacity to believe all this. I'm serious. I believe it. And that stuff's been leaving by the truckloads for a long time now. There's still some residue in there, and it comes out once in a while. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> ish. <laughs> ish just came out. That wasn't Mark. That was ish. <laughs> that was ish. So let me break this down for you. What is, now listen, we got to talk in the natural. Jesus always used the natural to explain spiritual truths, didn't he? He was a master at it. Talked about trees. Talked about mountains. Talked about Bread. you know, he just talked about stuff to demonstrate. He, he wanted everybody to get it. He didn't want anybody to walk away and go, I just didn't get that. What do you mean you didn't get that? He just used a very natural principle to explain a spiritual truth. So let's talk about this natural. Let's just kind of break this down so we can build this up a little bit. What is indigestion? <laughs> anybody ever experienced indigestion? It's this volcanic, <laughs> seismic activity that goes on in your gut. It works its way sometimes up into the heart, into the heartburn area, you know. And sometimes you get the acid reflux in the back of the throat. It's this nauseating feeling that just makes you want to lay down and and just rest and and you feel so uncomfortable (laughs) for so long. Indigestion relief is a multi-billion dollar a year business. And here's the ironic thing. It's considered probably the most common ailment Especially in North America, and yet it's the easiest to prevent. What are the two most common methods of preventing indigestion? Now we're talking still in the natural. I guarantee you're not going to like these two ways. The first one is chew your food slowly. You didn't like that one, did you? I had a friend that was in the Marines. Man, he was in the Marines for a few years. And he just got trained because you only had five minutes, three minutes, five minutes to eat your food. That was it. That's all you got. Even when he got out of the Marines, man, I would watch him eat. I was his roommate for a while. This was years ago. I would watch him eat and I'm like, brother, man, he never laid the silverware down until the plate was gone. He'd have a big old plate of food and he would not even, you know how you'll eat for a little while and lay your fork down or something, you know, your spoon? I'm like, brother, man, he just never would lay his fork down just until it was all gone. I'm like, why do you do that? I guess I don't even think about it. I just I learned it while I was in the Marines. So, two most common ways to prevent it is to chew your food slowly and to eat less of it. I'm going to explain this so I can give you a spiritual truth here. If you look at people they call centenarians, these are people that have lived to be 100 years or more, and you look at common denominators, what is it? that allowed them to live that long. One of the common denominators they find in many cases is these people chew their food slowly and they eat less of it. Oh, I can see the enthusiasm on your faces right now. (laughs) You're just thinking about getting out of here and going and eating, aren't you? Let me show you why this is important. When you stick food in your mouth and you begin to eat it, what happens is your saliva glands begin to release digestive enzymes and so what happens is the food begins to get broken down already in your mouth so that as you swallow it it's coated with digestive enzyme so when it hits your stomach the stomach acid can do what it does and stuff like that and move it on through the body extracting the nutrients all this wonderful stuff that goes on the way God made us for it to happen well if we slam dunk this food we just shove it in it doesn't get coated with digestive enzymes now it ends up in our stomach and especially if we eat a lot of it. Imagine your stomach has about a half a cup or maybe even a cup of of acid. And we've just taken in this big meal, no digestive enzymes on it. What do you think has to happen? Your body has to create more stomach acid in order for this to break this food down. It doesn't want it passing all the way through without it getting broken down. That's why we start to feel uncomfortable because your body is working hard to make more acid and dump it in your stomach so it can begin to break down this food. Imagine a tug of war contest. You got two men over here. Here's the middle right here. You got two men over there. This guy in front is pulling with all his might. This guy, they call him the anchor, the last guy. Imagine that this guy here is called stomach acid and this guy is called digestive enzymes. And all the way, you know, 10 or 15 minutes into this contest, digestive enzymes "Who? I've been working hard. I-, I need a drink of water. So he said, I'll be right back. And he leaves and he goes gets his drink. He's gone for two or three minutes and he comes back. Guess what? Stomach acid while he was gone had to work so hard to keep from getting pulled across the line. That's exactly what happens in our body. Now, How do I prevent soulish indigestion? That's the question, isn't it? I'm talking about things that mess with your mind. I'm I'm talking about things that try to exile and hijack your emotion. How do I prevent that? Here's how you do it. You chew your food slowly, and you eat less of it. Have you ever tried to just conquer the whole Bible? I've had people ask me, have you read the whole Bible all the way through? You know, there's probably pages I haven't read. And I'll tell you why I haven't. It's because I love playing. You put me in a sandbox with God. I want to see what's under the sand. What would you hide underneath here, God? What, where's the toys at? I want, to, I want to play with God when I start reading the Word of God. Every time I see a name, I want to look up a name and go, what does this name mean? Because I know it's there for a reason. I see a number. I want to see, what does that number have to do with it? I see the scriptures before and after, the context. I want to just play with God. And when you play like that, it takes a long time. So that's what my point is, is you are chewing your food, the Word of God, more slowly And you're eating less of it. There's nothing wrong with it. I want to encourage you you as you go to the Word of God, take time. If it takes you one week to get through one scripture, take time on that one scripture because when God gives you the revelation of that scripture, my wife talked about that recently when she talked about, it's not about information, it's about revelation. It's about what is God saying to you right now? Amen? A Rubik's Cube, or any cube for that matter, has six sides And I thought, this is really the way I approach the Word of God. I can look at things on the surface. I can look at things for face value. See, a lot of people, when they read the Word, all they want to see is what's on the surface. Oh, that's not me. The surface just tickles me. It's the stuff that's on the face. It's the stuff back here on the backside. It's the stuff over here on the right side. You see, they all look a little bit different. All sides, it's the stuff underneath here, Lord, underneath the the surface of the Scriptures where I'm looking up, and God, oh, I see that. I couldn't see that from the angle before. Now I see it. That's what begins to excite me. That's what is so exciting about God's Word. Who was it written to? Why was it written? What were the customs of the day? That's what we should be looking for. What does it mean? What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And what does it mean to me? And I'll tell you what, the Word of God will come alive. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, the Bible says, Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat the scroll. i got to stop right there for a second. God just told him to eat a scroll. Now in some versions of the Bible, it just leaves off the SC and it says eat the roll. And it ain't the kind of roll you're thinking about it is. He literally said, eat the scroll. In other words, the way he would say it today is, eat your Bible. Because that's what a scroll was. you ever seen a scroll? Got all that parchment paper all wrapped up. And you, take, you take that big wooden stick and you roll it out like that. And if you like something down here, you just roll this one back up. <laughs> you roll it out and you roll this one back. You want to go back this way. You know, it took a while to get through the Word of God. And he said, eat the whole scroll. That means eat the parchment paper, eat the little wooden handles, that whole, just eat the whole thing. So what he would be saying today is, eat the Word. But when you eat it, he said, listen... Chew it slowly and eat less of it at a time. Am I preaching to the choir this morning? I'm going to tell you something. When I study for a word, you'd think I would be like a crazy man all over the scriptures trying to find I don't do that. I just listen for the Lord to speak and then I go to that word. He doesn't really have me jumping all over the place to build a word. He just listened to the Lord. He says, eat the scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. You know what we do all week long? What you do, Steve, what my wife does, what I do, is we eat that scroll all week long. And then we don't come and speak to the house of Israel. We come to speak the house of Triumph and Grace Ministries. But the scroll is on the inside of us. We've eaten the Word all week long. It's had those digestive enzymes on it because we've been chewing on His Word all week long. It just nourishes the body. You're the body. It nourishes the body. And so, Here's what he says. So I opened my mouth. That's pretty good. If you're going to eat, it's a good thing to open your mouth, isn't it? So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your sack or fill your body, he says, with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Chew it slowly. I know there's preachers all over the world right now. They're saying, "You know, man, you just need to devour the Word of God. You need to, you know, get up in the morning and start reading it. Read it all day long. Just conquer as much territory." I, listen, I've heard those messages preached before, and I used to think, "Oh, I, I don't feel like I'm doing that. Am I feeling or what?" No, God is saying, "Listen, listen. Just pick one scripture. Just take one of my scriptures and meditate on that word. Eat that scroll." Let the digestive, spiritual digestive enzyme begin to work that word. Listen, what I'm teaching you right now is so that when you leave here, you can go. And and maybe I'm just reinforcing what you already know to be true, but so that you can go and live victoriously all week long, not just on Sundays. If we're talking about meditating, that's really what he was saying when he was saying, eat this scroll. My wife just preached about that when she talked about meditation last week. If you look up this word meditate in the dictionary, you'll find words that are synonyms. That means they mean the same thing. Words that are synonymous with meditate or meditation. One of them is rumination. If you just take your common English dictionary and look up meditation, one of the synonyms will say rumination. And you've heard this expression no doubt talk many times about a cow. How a cow, I, don't, I forget how many stomachs, I think they have four stomachs if I'm not mistaken. And I've seen the cows, you've seen them laying there in the field chewing their cud. I mean, all day long, they're like little lawnmowers going all over the place, eating grass and whatever, weeds. And then they have to sit down for a while, because they've, they've, they've filled their stomach. And now, they're sitting there. Pretty soon, big old cud comes up in their mouth. And they start chewing the cud again. Why? is because they're they're coating what's already in them with more digestive enzymes so that they can extract every single nutrient out of what they just ate. I mean, look at the massive body, look at the muscles that it must take, and you get that out of grass? Anyway, how do they do that? Well, they're extracting. God has, has put all these nutrients in it for them to extract out, and then they'll chew on it for a while, they'll swallow it, and then it will come back up again. <laughs> They'll chew on it for a while, swallow it. It'll come back up again. What are they doing? They are ruminating on that food that's already on the inside of them. That's what they're doing. They're extracting all the nutrients out of them. And for many years, especially in my young ministry, you know, if I could just feed on a fatty, greasy, spicy sermon, I, for some reason I felt, I mean, with a lot of exhortation. One thing you're, you're going to probably find in this ministry is we're not about a lot of exhortation where we're jumping all over the cra- place acting like a crazy person. You know, I mean, trying to get your emotions all built up. Listen, I could care less. It doesn't matter. Listen, if you never even say amen, I it doesn't hurt my feelings a bit. I know the word came from the Lord. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't matter. But, you know, for a while I thought, God, there must be something wrong with me. You know, when I preach, I, you know, this just doesn't seem to work for me if I try to exhort and get people jumping all over the place. And I see that all the time. And then people walk out of, you know, they're snapping their weave and they think they're into everything. But when they walk out of the church, they're still empty. And it only sustains you for so long. I would rather give you food that you can meditate on all week long and will set you free in different areas of your life. But when I got the message of grace cooking in my heart, I found, you know what? The soulish indigestion had to leave. It had to go. So my encouragement is to let your uh, Monday through Saturday diet come into alignment with your Sunday diet. In other words, on Sunday we put on our best clothes, we go to church, we listen to God's Word, we sing His songs. But what about Monday through Saturday? Let that diet come into alignment with the diet like you're getting on Sunday. Feed all week long. Feed all week long on certain messages. Feed. Listen to me. Feed all week long on the message. The message of God's marvelous grace. Feed all week long. Look for His expressions in the Bible of marvelous grace. And I was thinking about that yesterday, and my wife and I were talking. And one of the narratives that came to my mind is out of John chapter 21. Peter has failed Christ. He has denied him three times. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? To say, I don't even know the man. I never met him before a day in my life. That's failure to the max. He has failed Jesus. So what does he do? He returns to his life of fishing. He goes out, the Bible says, and he fishes all night long and catches nothing. Nothing was in his net. Nothing was biting. But there was a man there was a man, marvelous grace, standing on the shore. And he saw them coming in and he said, friends, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we fished all night long and we caught absolutely nothing. And he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find the fish. And they did. And they found the fish on the right side of the boat. Friends, I want to tell you something. Even though Peter had failed Christ, Jesus said, listen, listen. Marvelous grace will still tell you where the fish are at. Marvelous grace will still bless you. Marvelous grace, in spite of what you've just done, In fact, Marvelous Grace got up when you were out there spending all of your energy fishing all night long. Marvelous Grace was baking bread for you. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Marvelous Grace was putting fish on hot coals because I knew the exact place on the shoreline where you would be coming in. That's just a whole other message, but do you see what Marvelous Grace does for you? Marvelous Grace says, let's just get you out of the way. You didn't have anything to do with this idea. It was my idea. While you were out there just acting crazy, I was over here thinking about you. You weren't thinking about me, but I was thinking about you. That is marvelous grace. And as we begin to look in the Word of God, and we begin to see those kind of expressions, and we say, wait a minute, now God loves me as much as He loved Peter. Jesus loves me as much as He loved Peter. And James and John, surely He would do that for me as well and it just encourages me and it lifts me up and it strengthens me so feed on messages like his marvelous grace all week long but not only messages of his marvelous grace but messages of his extravagant love <laughs> my wife has preached a couple of messages recently where she's talked about the extravagant love of god i was back there running a sound system one day when i first heard that and i said honey When you said those two words together, extravagant love of God, I said it was like somebody started a lawnmower inside of me. It was, you know, a lawnmower just sits there, doesn't make any noise until you pull the cord one time, and then it's just a whole different it's just a whole different animal then, isn't it? And when you have a lawnmower, you can take a lawn that's all messed up and just mow it and trim it and look and make it look so pretty. I said that's what it felt like on the inside of me. I felt this extravagant love on the inside of me, this power harness on the inside of me, and it feels so good. I love it when we talk about extravagant love. As I was thinking, Lord, what is an expression in your word for extravagant love? where you don't even use the word grace, and you don't even use the word extravagant, but that's nonetheless what it is. And in Luke chapter 19, you find this man named Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Wee little guy, you're talking about extravagant love. Here's Jesus walking through Jericho. Can you imagine the crowd that's around him? And then all of a sudden Zacchaeus, the Bible calls him a chief tax collector. But Jesus had experience with tax collectors because Matthew was a tax collector. He was the one that was one of his disciples. And he called him a chief tax collector, which means he was, the top, he was the Houdini of magicians, man. He was the tax collector, the chief guy. He would teach other tax collectors how to cheat you. He would teach other tax collectors how to rob you and take advantage of you. And which one's not to take advantage of. That guy, <laughs> he carries a knife. <laughs> Don't mess with him. Peter? I'm telling you, don't mess with Peter. Don't don't cheat him out of no taxes. You're going to lose some ears. Zacchaeus, the Bible says, climbed up in this sycamore fig tree because he wanted to see the Lord, and he was just too short. And as the Lord came passing by, this is just an amazing story. The Lord comes walking by, and, you know, if we saw some guy in a tree, we'd be like, man, you ain't got all your dogs barking, friend. You know, we would just look at him and go, what are you doing up there? But Jesus just says, Zacchaeus, he even knows his name. Zacchaeus, would you just come down here? I'm going to go to your house today. Zacchaeus takes him to his house. Why did Jesus do that? Did he want to take a look at his books? <laughs> Zacchaeus, can you just show me the books where you've been collecting the taxes? I, I need to audit your books, you know, and I'm like the IRS guy. No, he didn't do that. Zacchaeus, I want to talk to you about the way you've been cheating people and robbing people you know he didn't do that. Because if he had done that, it would have pushed Zacchaeus much further away than he already was. I'm going to tell you what it was. It was extravagant love. It had to be extravagant love. It had to be. What else could it have been? You see, because when I look in the Word of God, I see one thing about love, and it's the only thing in the Bible that says never fails. Love always wins. Love never fails. And so I believe when he was there with Zacchaeus. He was pouring out his love, and finally, I mean, you see nothing what Jesus said until the conversion takes place in Zacchaeus' heart. And Zacchaeus stands up and he says, "Today, I give half of my wealth to the poor." Now imagine he had a million dollars. I'm going to give half of my wealth. Now he's got five hundred thousand, and he says, "If I don't know even why they put, the, if I've ever cheated anybody out of any taxes." Zacchaeus, you know you did. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, he said, I will repay them four times what I've stolen from them. There's the other half. That's the other half, isn't it? Because if you just cheated every third or fourth person and now you had to pay every third or fourth person back four times what you cheated, listen, there's the other half. See, that's a demonstration of, that's what the way Jesus is. He didn't just give it half of it to the people that were poor. The people that had been cheated in life? He said, listen, I give it all. I give it all. And Jesus said, today, he said, today salvation has come to this house. And he said, you too are a son of Abraham. And he said, the son of man came not but for to seek and save the lost. That is extravagant love. Oh, I love extravagant love. It's not only about this marvelous grace, and it's not only about this extravagant love, but it's about outrageous generosity. I mean outrageous generosity. You say, where is that demonstrated? Oh, it's demonstrated left and right in the Word. But let me tell you something where I really where it ministers to me is in Romans chapter 5, when the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, You've got to stop and think about that for a second. I'm the grace man. I want to pour out this outrageous generosity. And the fact that He took our sin and gave us His righteousness, what a divine exchange. That is outrageous generosity. Would you agree? (laughs) That's outrageous generosity. I told you guys before about when I played Monopoly with my boys, and the Lord brought that back to my mind just now. I can only take that game about once every 15 years. I win every time I play that game. But, you know, it's more than just shaking the dice. I know you, you can't control what comes up, but you can control what you buy. And you can control what you buy into as well. So I know strategically which properties to buy and which ones to stay away from. You do not buy Mediterranean Avenue. You do not buy Baltic Avenue. I know they're cheap. They're appealing. You're not looking for the cheap thrill. You want boardwalk. and You want park place. And so as I'm playing with Tyler and Tanner, my two youngest boys, I mean, I'm just getting rich. I just can't do anything wrong. And they're landing on my properties like left and right, like crazy. Every time they land, I got hotels on them. They owe me $2,000. Now you owe me $1,800. Pretty soon I got all their money. They're mortgaging their properties to get money. Stuff like that. I just kept getting richer and richer and richer. And after we played for about 14 hours, it seemed like, I decided, you know what? I'm just tired. I can see us right now. We were on the living room floor playing. And I just finally got to the point, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done with Monopoly now, see me again in 15 years. And finally I just decided to be outrageously generous. And so every time they landed on Boardwalk or Park Place or some of those green ones over there, Pennsylvania Avenue and all those, you know, that I owned, you know. When they would land on them, I would say, son, you don't owe me anything. And I would say, I would look into my money there and I would hand them a $500 bill and I'd just say, it's yours. And I remember Tyler, my oldest, he would reach out like the, the Grinch and he'd go like he, he was like, he had that look on his face like, I landed on your property and you're paying me? That's exactly what Jesus did. That's outrageous generosity. We were sinners at one time. You're not a sinner anymore. We were sinners at one time. And Jesus didn't just come and say, you know what? I'm just going to forgive you of your sin. It was bigger than that. It was more divine than that. He said, I'm not only going to forgive you of your sin, I'm going to give you my nature. I'm going to give you all of me. I'm going to show you how generous I am. And if the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us, what else would you call that other than outrageous generosity? So when you study the Word of God, look for stuff like that. Look for His marvelous grace. Look for His extravagant love. Look for that outrageous generosity, and I want to tell you something, it will annihilate soulish indigestion. You know, I can't think of a better word to precede the word love than the word extravagant. Can you think of a better word <laughs> an extravagant? We're talking, it comes from God, of course. Here's love right here. What word could precede that? <laughs> it would be extravagant. And I can't think of a better word that would follow extravagant than love. They go together. They should never be separated. Extravagant love. (laughs) Friends, they go together. In the 1950s, teenagers' vocabulary consisted on average of 25,000 words. Now that's 55 to 60 years ago. I thought, man, it must be up to 30,000 by now, 35,000, 40, 50, maybe 100,000 words. We've got so much more technology. Guess what I found a teenager's average vocabulary today? It's 10,000 words. How did it go from 25,000 words? To 10,000 words. In the 1950s, there was no DVD players. (laughs) There were no VCRs. (laughs) There was no iPhones, iPads, or iPods. There was no cable TV. There were no satellite dishes on your house. And I'm not opposed to those. We have all of those things. But there's a point of living in balance. And so what happened is, because we didn't have all those technologies back then, what happened is, especially this time of the year, kids would read more. They would read more. And they would read even God's Word more. But now we get so distracted by all these technological things, and it stunts their vocabulary, and it stunts their minds. I'm going to tell you something. Reading is to the mind as exercise is to the body. Reading is to the mind as exercise is to the body. Would you agree with that? Would you agree? We're talking about natural things now. That there's a spiritual application to this as well. There is. So many believers do not read or study the Word of God. I had a friend tell me recently, I was talking to a guy who was going through a a really hard time in his life. I asked him, well, what's God saying in the Word? He's a believer. Both were believers. He said, well, I really haven't been in the Word. It's been a week since you've been in the Word? Yeah. And my friend said, have you ever heard of anybody, a Christian, going a week without reading the Word? (laughs) We were talking about that. I said, oh, friend, it's more common than you know. It's more common than you know. We've got to be saturating ourselves in this Word. And especially if you're going through a tough time. The Bible says it's not the well that need the physician, it's the sick. And when you're sick, go to the Word. He says, I sent my Word and I healed you. I sent my Word and I healed you. Whatever it is, exiled emotion, soulish indigestion, whatever it may be, the Word of God can heal that. So five years ago, I began to get this message of grace. It began to drip, drip, drip in my heart. I said to my wife yesterday, there'd be no triumphant grace ministries had God not been putting that that word of grace in our hearts. And I don't mean that the word grace would have been missing from the name of the ministry. There would have been no ministry. I was not interested in birthing another church that preached a message of anything less than God's grace and and God's love, His extravagant love, His outrageous generosity. The enemy attacks us primarily in our minds and our emotions because he realizes the infrastructure has not been put in place. When you read the Word of God, when you study the Word of God, it's like putting in infrastructure so that when he comes knocking, you'll understand who it is. I like what Joyce Meyer says. She says, wherever the mind goes, the man will follow. That is so true. Wherever the mind goes, the man will follow. Because here's the process. Everything begins with a thought. If we think about something long enough, it gives birth to an imagination. In other words, I've thought about it, and now it's drawn the picture in my mind. So it's went from a thought now to an imagination. And if I imagine something long enough, it will give birth to desire. i thought about it, I've imagined it, now I want it. You see how it strings you along? i thought about it, I imagined it, now I want it. Thought, imagination, desire. Desire will give birth to the act itself. You'll act upon it if you desire it long enough. The act gives birth to a habit, you'll keep doing it. Once you've done it, you'll you'll just keep doing it. The act gives birth to the habit. The habit gives birth to a destiny. A thought will take you to a place. Larry Waters found that out years ago. He decided his neighbors across the way, they were having parties all the time, but they had this big fence. he couldn't figure out what were they doing over there? He was so curious. This is a true story. So he went down to the Army-Navy surplus store and bought 45 of those large helium balloons. And he went home, staked a lawn chair to the ground, tied all those helium balloons to that chair, had a BB gun in case he got floated too high He could shoot some of the balloons and kind of gradually come down, and he had an axe. He sat down in the chair, strapped himself in, and he cut those ropes, and instead of gently lifting up in the air, he shot up into the air 11,000 feet. 11,000 feet! They got the news reporters involved, and they began to follow him. What happened is he got so scared when he shot up so fast... He dropped his BB gun, so now he just had to wait. There was a, a jet that was trying to land at L.A. International Airport, and they radioed the tower, and they said, we, you're not going to believe this. There's, I, I, I know I'm going to come across as crazy, but there's a man floating around in a lawn chair <laughs> up here. <laughs> the news reporters followed him in their cars, watching for him with binoculars and following Thankful for Larry Waters, He gradually and gently, as the balloons began to lose their strength, brought him to the ground. The news reporters were there to meet him, and they asked him two questions. They said, Do you wish you'd have never done that? And he said, Yeah. And they said to him, What did you learn? He said, I learned that I was about to go to a place that I didn't want to go a whole lot quicker than I wanted to get there. A thought will take you to a place. Now, it might be a place you want to go, but it might be a place you don't want to go. That's why it's so important to grab a hold of soulish indigestion, things that don't line up with the Word of God. And as we're pouring in the truths of God, of His extravagant love and His marvelous grace and His outrageous generosity, it's so easy to spot a counterfeit. Something that comes in and tries to look like God. Something that comes in and tries to sound like God. Something that comes in and tries to smell like God and feel like God. It's it's all right to all your, your five senses, but it's it's not right in your spirit. And you'll recognize this ain't right. I want to tell you, I want, the Word of God has protected me over the years. I don't even know how many times. I can name a bunch of them, but it, the Word of God is a protector. The Word of God will protect you. And so, what I've, I've seen over the years is I've watched believers get hurt by the church. Not just in the church, but by the church. Or the issues of life overtake them. You know, when something happened in their life, and instead of climbing up into the lap of daddy, they climbed into a liquor bottle. Because they just didn't know how to handle it any other way. So they returned to their life of fishing. This is what I got used to. This is how I used to numb myself years ago. It must still work today, kind of like Peter. I'm going to go back to fishing. But it doesn't work. You know what you find? You forfeit your entire inheritance. Everything. I'm not saying you lose your salvation because that's impossible. It's impossible to lose your salvation. You can't do it. But you can lose life to the fullness here. When Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly, He's talking about this life. He's not talking about heaven someday. Oh, I know we sing that song, I Got a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop. You ain't got no mansion, no home, some big old mansion. You, you just got a wrong picture of that. Have we all thought that? Man, I wonder what my mansion looks like in heaven, you know. I wonder who lives next door to me. I bet it's just beautiful. Listen, friends, you are the mansion. You are that priceless mansion that's been handcrafted. You are the mansion. <laughs> You're the mansion. And so, this message that my wife preached, I keep referring to because her messages have just been ministering to me. I have to edit our messages at home. And it takes me sometimes a couple of hours to edit a message down. And when I'm editing a message, I have to listen to it over and over and over. And it, it just builds such faith and grace. And I think, man, when I have listened, especially to my wife's messages, I'm going, this is just better and better. The more I listen, it's just better. I've listened to her messages two, three, four times in a week on my way back and forth to work because it just keeps building faith. And I love that analogy she drew last week. I will never forget this, the, the analogy between Clumbo and Matlock. You remember that? I never thought of it like that. Columbo is the one that's always out to tell us what's wrong with us. Matlock is out to tell you what's right with you. And Matlock is kind of like Jesus. Jesus is like the Matlock. Columbo is like the devil, man. Always out to tell you what's wrong with you. And he'll come through different ways. And I thought about this. There's times in life where I hear a little knock at the door. And I go to look at the door. And I open up the door. And guess who's standing there? Columbo. Columbo's there. And if you ever watch Columbo, I know some of you probably never saw it before, but I'm not kidding. Here's the way the guy acted all the time. I, I actually like Columbo. He had that trench coat on all the time, that hat on all the time, cigar, you know, deep voice. And he always would, he always look down, you know, put his hand on his head like this, like he was thinking. And he'd always be like, excuse me, I don't mean to bother you. <laughs> you know what you got to say to Columbo? You are a bother. I don't want you to bother me either. And slam the door in his face. That's what we got to get used to doing. Excuse me, I don't mean to bother you. That's right, because I'm not going to give you the time of day to bother me. You know what I put myself in remembrance of? I put myself in remembrance of that Jesus, my Jesus, is seated, according to Hebrews, on the throne of grace. He is seated on the throne of grace. He is seated on the mercy seat. When I need grace, I can go to my Jesus. When I need mercy, I can go to my Jesus. The Bible says He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Word of God tells me that He is interceding for me both day and night. There never comes a time where He stops interceding for me. And you know what that interceding looks like? You know what that intercession looks like? It's Him always telling the Father what's right with me. He's telling the father what's right with you he's telling the father what's right with you he's saying daddy i shed my blood and i've said this before i'll say it again if god just had one bad day in all the eons of time and he decided to wipe out mark one day i mean just had a bad day you know what jesus jesus would step in there and go daddy no no daddy daddy you're not thinking straight this one belongs to me You kind of get the imagery, right? I'm not trying to belittle God. But what what I'm saying is Jesus is saying, listen, when he's interceding, he's saying, Father, let me tell you what's right with them. They have my righteousness. They have my righteousness. They've been washed and bought with my blood. There's nothing wrong with them, Daddy. There's nothing wrong with them. Even on their worst day, nothing is wrong with my kids. Nothing is wrong with my brothers and my sisters. Nothing's wrong with them. So, the next time Columbo knocks on my door, you know what I'm going to (laughs) do? I'm just going to say, Jesus, it's for you. Let him answer the door. He's already defeated him. I guarantee if Jesus got up to go answer the door, the devil wouldn't even be standing there anymore. Or if he was, he he would just be annihilated. He's already defeated him. He's already defeated him. Wherever the soul goes the sack will follow. Wherever the mind goes, the man will follow. I lost my favorite job 10 months into it, about 12, 13 years ago. When my manager called me in one early one morning, We sat down at the desk and she said, I got to let you go. And she wasn't talking about laying me off. She was talking about firing me. My question was, Why? I was stunned. Why? Is my light too bright? Is my love too loud? Is my laughter too contagious? Why? And she said, Mark, you make people angry. I said, No. No, I don't make people angry. No, <laughs> that's not my mission in life. To make, my mission is to love people. You make people angry. She tried to explain it some way, and I'm like, No, that's not true. But I have to be honest with you, because it's so humiliating, if you've ever been fired in your life, it's just humiliating. I used to watch my youngest son Tanner wrestle in school, and I would watch some of the biggest wrestlers on his team, guys that were well over 200 pounds, get defeated out there on the mat. Kids that are in ninth and 10th grade, and I would watch them walk back to the sideline weeping. (laughs) I mean, they're bawling like little babies. Why? Because it was humiliating to to lose. It was humiliating to be defeated, especially in front of people. On my way home, I thought, what am I going to tell my wife? (laughs) You know, I mean, all these things run through your head. Before I left, I said to her, would you mind if I prayed for you? And she said, I suppose. I said, no, it's all right. And I left. I took my key off my ring and laid down the and I took a two hour drive and in the second hour of that drive I felt soulish indigestion rising up big time I felt something rising up in me that wasn't in line with the word of God I felt an emotion like "Ooh, this is so unfair I'm going to go over your head I'm going to go to the owner of the company I'm going I'm to tell you." and I heard the Lord say no no pity parties. You know what a pity party is? It's soulish indigestion. Oh me, oh poor me. And I heard the Lord so clearly, the Holy Spirit say, no pity parties. I said, okay Lord. That was May 6th of 2002. May 26th of 2002, my pastor resigned. Totally unexpected, totally unannounced. Was not planned. And I was set forth in a senior pastor role for two years in that same church. 20 days later. So when all this turmoil was going on in, on the inside of me, God didn't cause me to lose that job. But I'll tell you what, he brought the best out of it. And Steve, I've heard part of your testimony. It was during that time that I met you. And uh, what a trophy of grace you turned out to be. It was during that time that God gave me the opportunity to begin to pour into your life. And so I was so, I was so thankful for about it. Steve is definitely a fruit of the ministry. If we know wherever the mind will go, the man will follow. The body will follow. Does it work the other way? Wherever the body goes, the mind will follow. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't have to work that way. See, if you let your mind carry away, you have no choice. The whole man will, will follow. As I was pastoring in those two years, I saw a woman's name who was on the membership roll, and I thought, who is this woman? I've been with this church for Six, seven years, I've never met this woman. And I asked a dear sister from the church, can you take me to see this woman? Who is she? We went to her house, and we knocked on the door, and I heard this little faint voice on the other side of the wall say, come in. And we walked in, and there sat that sweet little lady. I mean, just a frail woman. Her hands were crippled like that, full of arthritis. So we sat down and we began to minister to her. And we began to pray for her and just express extravagant love. We wanted nothing in return. We just wanted to come and give. Isn't that what Jesus did? He came to give. Whether we gave him anything in return, he came to give, didn't he? That's all we went there for. She talked about how her body was so riddled, full of pain, and occasionally it just runs wild. And surely if your body runs wild, then your mind's going to run wild. It doesn't have to be that way. I said to her, I said, what do you do about it? She said, well, last week, she said, I was running wild with pain. And she said, I wheeled my wheelchair into my bedroom, and I climbed up out of my wheelchair, and I got in my bed, and I laid on my back, and I lifted my hands to heaven, and I just began to thank Him for His goodness. I just began to thank him Him for loving me. I began to thank Him for His amazing grace. I just began to love on him and let him love on me. She said the pain began to subside, just like that. And that's what she would do when the pain would hit her body. She would just let Jesus love on her. Oh, friends, let me tell you something. When we find ourselves in situations that are uncomfortable in life, where we, just, we have enough energy just to take care of ourselves, leave me alone, let me lay down on this couch for a while, let this pass, oh, friends, that's a wonderful time to let Jesus just love on you. I have a whole nother message, but I'm hearing the word of the Lord just say to stop here. I want to put you in remembrance this morning of his marvelous grace, of his extravagant love, and of his outrageous generosity. Oh, what a divine exchange. I want to encourage you to go beneath what you see on the surface of the scriptures. I want to encourage you to eat that word. Extract every nutrient out of it that you can. Let him birth into you through a supernatural work of grace. His love, his calling, his purpose, his heart. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen.